Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an Espionation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am your host, William Chase, joined tonight by Elaine Shercliffe. What's going on, Elaine? Hi, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And we're also joined by a special guest, Mike Watson, the president of the Columbus Ice Hockey Club. How's it going, Mike? Hey, it's going well. Thanks for having me. Definitely. So, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time tonight. So, to kind of just get right into it, basically, what led you to the uh, Columbus Ice Hockey Club and how did you begin to get involved? Oh, you know, I I would love to think that I had a story that was like, oh, you know, I played hockey growing up and, you know, wanted to find a way to give back to the community. But but that wasn't the case, really. Um, I actually grew up in Roosevelt, Long Island, which is in New York, which was five minutes down the road from Uniondale, which is where Nassau Coliseum was. So I've always had proximity to hockey, but never really saw it as something that I would really play. I got into hockey through my sons. So my oldest, one time at the age of three, I was like, hey, uh, let me take you ice skating. And, you know, I took him. He loved it. And then I just looked for opportunities for him to to him to learn. Right. And so what happened is, you know, when kids are young, they're three, they don't really listen a lot. Right. And so when you put him in classes, he didn't really, you know, they just want to skate around and have fun. They don't want to go from red dot to red dot. So I was looking for a program that would allow him to be him without the structure of a formal class, right? And so I remember I called John Hofferman, who's the executive director, and he said, well, as long as you're not one of those parents forcing him to be out there, sure, he can come on out. And that's how it all got started with ice hockey clubs. So we we took Spence out there. He skated around. And I will tell you guys, I've had two sons both start an ice hockey club. Some days when they first started, they wanted to skate for 10 minutes and they got off and I would undress them and we would leave. And then other times, you know, you had to call them off. And so so that's how I got involved. And then as Spence wanted to get more involved and do more things with the club, then me and John, you know, started kind of talking about, you know, some of the interests that I had and some of the ways that I could help, you know. So, you know, I've had a pretty successful career in business. And so, you know, I said, hey, you know, from a business perspective, you know, I can help you guys out. And it's been a great relationship uh, ever since. You know, you've got John works for the city, um, you know, handles the off the on ice components. And then I handle more of the off ice components. And so it really has allowed us to grow as an organization. 
Yeah, no, I've, I've seen it full from living there and working with you and we were at the AAA. I, I saw how much like passion you put into it because you were still helping with both programs at the same time. I don't know how you did it. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit what, about what you're doing with them and um, any initiatives that you guys are working towards right now. Oh, yeah. So from an ice hockey club perspective, you know, Elaine, you know, when we first started, it was really all about how do you build the pipeline? Right. Because like I tell people, you're never going to be successful if you don't build the pipeline. So we did a lot of learn to skate. We did a lot of learn to play hockey. We also invested in our coaches. Right. So a lot of people don't know in central Ohio, we have the largest amount of level five certified hockey coaches for USA hockey. That's incredible, right? Yeah. To make sure if we were providing a service and a product, it was the best possible product as possible, right? So, so we I focused a lot on building the pipeline. And then as we began building the pipeline and the kids got confidence, then we started talking about team play, right? And so we started, you know, with the house program. And then once again, with the focus on building the pipeline, then we got into a JV hockey program, Right. And so now we continue to build a, a program. So now we went from like, say, two teams to having over 10 teams. And then now we've got even a girls hockey initiative. We have a special needs hockey initiative. We have a sled hockey initiative. We have a blind hockey initiative. You know, so we're doing work across so many different fronts. But what I'm also just as excited about is we've expanded our off-ice components too as well. Right. So we have an affiliation with the I Know I Can program. So the kids that take part in Columbus City Schools, you know, they they participate with I Know I Can, tracking them in the college. Um, you know, we're talking with various businesses about creative learning experiences. Right. So, you know, internships to me is kind of like got one of those terms where, you know, people think they need to make an eight to 10 week commitment to a kid. So now we start to talk about creative learning experiences. Right. So spending having a kid spend a day. Right. Learning about your job, what you do, like, you know, for example, what you guys are doing today, we're talking right now on a podcast. Right. But just having them observe it and you never know that light goes off in those kids, because what I want the kids to understand is, you know, hockey can be a vehicle to do great things in life. It's not just being an NHL player. You know, they're kids with dreams and we want to support that dream. But we also want to show them other avenues and other doors that can be open because of the sport that they play. Yeah, I will say that um, you and the Hortzes and a few of the parents in the 2001 group at the AAA Jackets really made me realize um, that it's more than just a sport and that what you do on the ice can translate to off the ice and vice versa. So like, I being able to see that, it, it's kind of nice to see that you guys really do put your um, action, like your words into action. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's what it's about. You know, you know, I live, you know, I like to say I, I live a life that has kind of purpose, right? And the older I get, the more that I focus on how do we continue to provide opportunities for those who do not even know an opportunity is there or for those who need the opportunity the most, right? And so that's why we continue to expand this program. That's why we continue to you know, want to partner with, you know, people. So we've got a great partnership with the hockey programs that are in town. You know, we've pipelined kids all the way up to the AAA level. You know, you think about a guy like Io came out of Columbus Ice Hockey Club. He's going to UAH, University of Alabama, Huntsville, you know, on scholarship. You know, those are just, those are the types of things that, that can happen when you invest in programs like the Columbus Ice Hockey Club. You know, we have a definitive, you know, I spend a lot of time building out that stair-step ladder. So how does a kid go from, Columbus Ice Hockey Club learn to skate 
some of the highest levels of hockey, right? And and to be honest with you, we built our program that we know sometimes the best thing for a kid to do is leave, but we also want that kid to know he's always welcome home. So when you think about Ice Hockey Club, we probably have the most alumni that actually work, you know, within our organization, both as coaches and then also for the city of Columbus. So when you when you go back to how we've built this program, you know, we've built this program so that these kids become servants of the city, right? And so it just warms our heart, you know, when we see kids that started Columbus Ice Hockey Club and they're working for the city of Columbus in the Parks and Recs Department and some of those other and some of those other departments that they have. That's amazing. That's what we want. That's the investment that we have in this city. So your children have played in the AAA and the CIHC. So You've seen a lot of hockey in Columbus. How would you say you've seen it grow and where do you think it can still improve? You know, it's funny. Hockey in Columbus has just exploded, right? And so I remember when my kids first started, it was kind of this niche thing and people were trying to figure it out. You know, how do you become better? How do you progress a team? And then, you know, I, I look at the growth now and I look at what not only have the local house programs done, Kaha, CCYHA, Newark, Easton, Ice Hockey Club, Belfry, Springfield, uh, you know, and I can go on and on, Dayton, Cincinnati scores. You see, like when I had this conversation 10 years ago, it wasn't that many organizations. And then when you look at, they offer travel and then you look at what AAA has done, right? It's, it's just an absolute explosion, right? And you look across all facets of hockey, from high school all the way into the house programs and to see the influence, you know, these kids that have played for multiple organizations, you know, it warms my heart even when I look at high school and you look at some of these kids that are doing so well in high school, they're AAA Blue Jacket alumni, right? So when you think of what the AAA program has been able to do, when you think of their pipeline, their roots on their tree, you know, that's incredible. And like I tell people, when you look at what they've been able to do, even when they have kids that move on, I look at it, guess what? That opens up the pipeline further for more kids to play hockey, right? So if you think about it, the 2005, 2006, or whatever birth years they have, when you have kids that have success and they choose to kind of move on to do other things, it opens the door for more kids who have those dreams, who want those opportunities, right? And they get trained up. And then the next thing you know, instead of having in the past, you know, say 20 kids who get all the training, you now could have 40, 50 kids who get the training when it's all said and done. And to me, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, where do you kind of see it going in the next five years? I mean, I know the girls program is finally starting to pick up, um, but just in general, like hockey in general in Columbus. You know, I think hockey in Columbus, you know, I think the future can be incredibly bright, but no one organization has a solu- has the solution. We have to continue to look, we have to continue to work together We have to continue to ask ourselves the uncomfortable questions, right, in order to get to the right answer, right? I think investing in girls hockey absolutely has to be done. If you think about Columbus, we're the 15th largest city in the United States. The fact that we don't have a girls program that has taken root here, you know, I've got a lot of questions. And I think in the next five years, we have the right people coming to the table to figure out how do we build a sustainable girls program? We have to continue to look for opportunities to open up hockey to not only, uh, you know, to people from diverse backgrounds, right? And we have to understand that those people from diverse backgrounds that are coming to this game, we have to make sure they feel they feel welcome. 
right? We have to make sure they feel wanted. We have to make sure that they understand that they are just as important um, to how this game develops in this city uh, than everybody else who maybe has come to the sport because they had a parent who played when they were younger or they had a parent who played in NHL Division One, right? And so we're going to have to look, you know, into some of those communities, you know, in order to make sure that they, like I said, they feel wanted and they feel that they can excel in this sport too. And then we're also going to have to expand into other areas, right? Sled hockey, special needs hockey, you know, these are all programs that are well healed here, here in the city, but you don't really hear about it that much, right? You know, and I think from an ice hockey club perspective, you know, we've had nothing but great experiences when we have, you know, when we have, when we have partnered with the Blade Sled Hockey Program, we've, we've partnered with the, you know, special needs hockey program nothing but great experiences. And I think we need to continue to provide those opportunities uh, to those groups too, as well. So, like I said, we have the population, we have the means, you know, so that's why I said, I'm so super aggressive on where we can be, but we have to do it together and we have to be willing to confront the issues that are present in the game. Definitely. Um, So even knowing that there's really, there are really great programs in Columbus, um, both of your boys ended up attending Culver, which is another great hockey program with excellent education. Um, as a parent, what went into that decision-making process and how hard was it in the beginning to live away from your children? Because I know you guys are really close. So the funny thing is that I always tell people, you know, about boarding school is, you know, you go through that process where you're like, hey, are we really going to do this? Um, you know, I have nothing but great things to say about the experience Spence has had at Culver and and Sam, who will be going next year, right? Um, You know, the main driver actually for going to Culver was it's just strong academic program and where it would prepare the boys from a national perspective of where they wanted to go to college, right? So I grew up on the East Coast and I wanted them to, you know, have a high school education that would position for them to be as competitive as possible to go and chase their dreams. The hockey was almost like, you know, the cherry on top of the cake, right? Like you said, right. Culver, has a, Culver has a hockey program that's steeped in tradition and them having their, you know, that opportunity to add their names to that tradition, you know, that's exciting too as well. But, you know, they've also become, you know, Spence is a multi-sport athlete there, so he plays baseball. Um, and it's just been an overall great experience for him and what he needed, you know, in order to be, like I said, a contributing member, uh, like I like to say to society, you know, at the age of 18. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm perfectly, how do I put this? You know, this decision that we made for Spence and Sam, I also understand that people might decide to, to do other things, right? Because, you know, they have kids, they want to chase their dreams and, and I, and I get that. Right. And so, so for me, the primary driver, it really, it wasn't hockey, right? It was more giving them an opportunity to be the best possible person they could be in the future. And I felt the best place for that, for them to accomplish that was at Culver Military Academy. Was it an easier decision to make knowing that there were kids from Columbus that you guys had met and, and the boys had watched play and played with being there? You know what? And it's funny. Um, it's like you said, you know, the hockey community is is large, right? And it's not only the kids that they play with. There were other kids that from Columbus that they played with, not at the AAA level. And I tell you, they were they were just as instrumental in them, you know, onboarding to the Culver atmosphere. And, and like you said, like any place, if there if there are people there, if there's a friendly face, and I tell you, and there were parents from Columbus that actually have relocated to Culver. 
um, you know, to work at the school or because their jobs took them more, um, you know, to that region. And that was a big help too, as well, because, you know, it's like a very family atmosphere there uh, with the Columbus parents. And so, you know, we look after each other's kids when we go up there and it's just, it's just been an overall really good experience for the kids and the parents, I would say too as well. Yeah, that's always nice to hear. And the boarding schools are tough. I, we, I live right by Western Reserve. So it, when I worked at the, the grocery store in Hudson, it, you would definitely see the different sides and how some kids take to it. And it, it's a community thing for sure. And boarding school isn't for everybody. That's what I tell people, right? Right. And, and that doesn't mean you can get just as good of an education, you know, at a school that's located, for example, um, potentially in Columbus, Ohio, right? It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's how hard you want to work that I tell people. Um, and so that's why I said for myself, you know, the kids, you know, they've acclimated well to the environment and they're thriving in it, right? And that's all you want as a parent, right? To put your kid in a place where they can thrive and they can grow, you know, and they can learn to make, you know, good decisions, you know, on, uh, on their own without mom and dad constantly directing them as to what to do. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. How would you say youth hockey can be more inclusive and really more accessible for everybody? <laughs> you know, this is this is one of the funny things, uh, you know, being an ice hockey club. You know, I think one thing from a youth hockey perspective and many organizations are actually dealing with this uh, very well. But we have to make sure that it truly remains accessible, particularly from a price point perspective. Um, you know, there are some there are some facets of this game that really alienate uh, people. Right. And we have to be honest and understand that that is a barrier. Right. Cost is a barrier. So what are the things that we can do to keep the cost down or what is or what are the you know, what is is there some financial assistance, for example, we could provide that to make sure that we can keep as many people involved in this game and allow as many kids to develop as possible, you know, in order to really grow this game, right? So I think that's definitely one thing that youth hockey is going to have to figure out. The second thing they're going to have to figure out is the games to practice ratio, 
Um, you know, I am not a fan. I've never been a fan of travel teams playing more than 45 games a year. But you continue to have travel teams that play 60, 70, 75 games. That's not right. Um, those kids miss a lot of school, um, you know, and so you can have your cake and eat it, too. And youth hockey, right? And and when I say have your cake and eat it too, you can have quality educational experiences and not have to miss, you know, ten plus days of school. And you, you know, you could just Google it. Like, how many days of school has your kid missed in travel hockey? And you would be surprised. You know, I really think uh, we've got a good handle of it, handle on it here in Columbus, Ohio. But there are other there are other areas where. You know, they don't have a good handle on it, right? So, you know, we need to limit the number of games. We need to make sure that the kids are practicing, right? You get better in practice. You know, games are where you kind of apply everything that you learned in practice. And I always tell people, you know, you should practice as hard as you play, right? Because if you're practicing as hard as you play, then the game actually becomes rather immaterial at that point. Yeah, I remember that from all the Super Showcases, how many teams would come from the West Coast and they would just be constantly on the East Coast and a bunch of kids, I think it was from Arizona, who were homeschooled because they to get to the East Coast from the you got to make those Friday morning games. It's you're traveling Thursday and then Monday. Yeah. And there's no reason why you can't start those showcases on a Saturday. Right. right. There's no reason why instead of playing five games in a weekend, you play four, or you play three. Um, you know, that's but, you, you know, you're hitting on a good point. You know, we have to figure out ways, you know, to make this game accessible to all because you have some kids who can't miss school. Right. right. They can't miss school because if they miss math class. Right. Then they're behind. Right. And so and so this game, that's why I said we have to do a better job, particularly at the travel levels in this game, making sure it remains as inclusive as possible. And I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about inclusive for kids who need to be anchored in their academics, inclusive for kids whose parents, you know, need to work 40 hours a week and they're not available to take them someplace till Friday at five o'clock. Inclusive is when I talk about, you know, making sure we're developing girls programs and making sure we're giving, we're truly giving back and really interested in making sure we bring more diversity and minorities into the sport. That's what I'm talking about when I say, you know, these are some of the things and these are some of the ideas that we really need to think about. Right. And and on the topic of inclusivity, um, what are ways that youth hockey can really, you know, like with rules? Because I have been at, at a few showcases where I've heard a lot of bad language, like the N-word being used and, and even talking about um, like homophobia, like it, it's bad and the refs don't stop it. And it, there's not really a rule that is just right down the middle, black or white. I, you know, and I say this, and I say this with you need to have a zero tolerance policy, right? I hear it, you're gone. You're gone from the game, right? First is a game. You do it again, you're gone for the weekend. You do it again, you're off the team. Simple as that, right? This should be no debate because I've seen instances where, you know, someone has said, someone has said a word that was a slur, right? And then they usually go ask the kid, and of course the kid says, I didn't say it, right? Right. And the coach backs the kid and says, well, my kid said they didn't say it. But you know the way your kid has reacted, that he said something, and depending on what the reaction is, you know what the kid said, right? So sometimes people's hands get tied, and I think people's hands get tied because they don't really know what to do in the situation. So I think USA Hockey actually 
needs to develop guidelines for referees. Like, this is what you need to do for coaches. This is what you need to do in situations like this. You know, they need to create a resource guide. They need to hold the coaches accountable the same way that they need to watch training modules. There should be a, there should be a module on diversity and inclusion that coaches and refs have to take before they get their certification. And that is something that they have to take every year. It's not something they do once every three years. It has to be every year. And then I think USA Hockey needs to track. They need to track when these instances happen to make sure, you know, that this, this doesn't become a pattern, right? Patterns of behaviors. And if you see coming out of certain programs, certain patterns of behavior, then you really need to kind of fly in, meet with that program and really talk to them about, you know, this isn't what we stand for. You guys are not adhering to our guiding principles. And maybe what we need to do is we need to start looking at what are some next steps, right? And if that means, you know, they kind of pull their ability to roster teams for a year, then they do that. But you have to put teeth in this in order for people to take it seriously. Because right now, uh, you know, right now they do, but I don't think there there's enough meat consequence. You know, like I said, if you had a zero tolerance policy, I think you would see the incidents would, would go down. I'm not saying that they would go away. But I think you would see that they would go down education as well. Um, and the education just can't be from people from diverse backgrounds like Mike Watson talking to a whole room of people about, you know, here's, you know, you know, here's why you don't say certain things. Right. And the education sometimes starts at home. You got to tell the parents, I hold you accountable to this, too, as well. Right. I mean, just as much as the parents sign a code of conduct. You know, maybe the parents need to sign, you know, a code that talks about inclusivity and diversity, too, as well. Do you think parents would be more parents would be open to that than not be open to that? I know that's kind of a struggle sometimes trying to get parents on the same page, even with just plays that happen on the ice. They're always trying to outcoach. <laughs> I hate to say this. If they want their kid to play hockey, they need to be comfortable with that because that's where the sport is going, right? It's right. not the sport according to your rules. It's the sport according to everyone's rules, Right. And if the sport determines that these are the rules that help us be as inclusive as possible, and then to participate in this, this is the paper you need to sign. If you don't sign it, then you're not allowed to play the sport, right? It's as simple as, to me, it is, it is cut and dry in, in this situation. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you. So I was curious on your thoughts on the Hockey Diversity Alliance as formed by current and former players, including co-heads Evander Kane and Akeem Alou. You know, I, I thought it was wonderful, right? Because I think, you know, anything that allows the sport of hockey to continue to evolve and progress and keep this conversation out there in a positive fashion, I think is good for the sport, Right. And the thing that excites me about, you know, the HDA is just how many, how many lives they're going to touch with their voices, right? You, now you're going to have people that are curious from all backgrounds, right? That are curious because the HDA was formed, you know, in five years, you're going to have, you're going to have kids that say, you know what? The only reason why I'm playing this sport is because of the HDA. We see it from a Columbus Ice Hockey Club perspective. No one is prouder than us when we graduate a kid that has played in our program for 12 years or a kid that started with us and has gone on to play at the higher levels of hockey, no one is prouder because this kid would have never gotten to that moment had it not been for ice hockey club, right? 
And, and it's not like from one of these, like, hey, look, look what we did, but it's more that pride of, you know, helping someone accomplish a goal, right? And I think when I look at the HDA and, and the influence that they have in their voices, you know, I'm excited to see where they take this, right? I'm excited to see the types of people that they partner with. I'm excited to see, you know, how they truly open the game for all. And I, and I can tell you from, from what I've seen and some of the literature that I've read, you know, not only are they serious, I think they're actually going to make an impact. I love to hear it. <laughs> um, so we have a final question. Um, it's just a really fun one because I've gotten to know you over the years. Um, but those early morning games on Saturdays and Sundays were awful, um, especially when you have to pay attention to the numbers on the back with kids' names you don't know. And you you kept me awake and alive and going with your perfect playlist for the oh, game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, <laughs> On the wheels of steel. That's what I like to say. On so, the wheels of steel. Kind of talk to everyone about like the importance of putting together that perfect playlist and what, what goes into it. Because I'm serious, like it it pumped me up every time. Oh, you know, the perfect playlist is a combination of, and I always tell people, you know, you got to listen to the kids, right? Hey, what's the type of music that pumps you up? But you know what really helped me? What really helped me was the evolution of video games, right? Because when Just Dance came out, and remember everybody would dance yeah. with the Xbox 360. <laughs> and I saw these kids dance and I was like, okay, I'm going to add that to my tracks, right? And then NHL came out with their soundtrack. And then GTA came out with their soundtrack. And so guess what? They would team up a hockey playlist for you, right? <laughs> and then you were just adding in a couple of songs that you liked along the way. But then you also have to recognize it's not only for the kids, it's, it's for the parents, right? So you have to remember their age too as well. So I would like I would like to mix in some stuff. I would like to add team. I like the some Quad City DJs, some CNC Music Factory, sometimes some Prince. And you and then you got to feel the crowd, right? So if the game's getting a little bit out of hand, a little chippy, you might want to throw a little Jimi Hendrix Voodoo Child out there. You know, just <laughs> people down. The Bee Gees, calm people down a little bit. Little, you know, should be dancing. You know, staying alive. People like that too as well. But you always got to keep them on the feet because, you know, the parents want to be entertained too. And at six, seven o'clock in the morning, I mean, who does that on the weekend? You know, right. during the week for work, the least you can do is kind of be, be entertained. And I tell you, I I had it this year. I had one playlist where I actually had a parent who was dancing at the rink and I was like, you know what, I can retire. I can retire after this. You know, that's all we want to do is move the crowd as the DJ at the hockey. Yeah, I remember uh, the first 2003 game I went to, I walked in and this parent literally goes, you're not going to need that coffee. And I was like, why not? And then you started playing the music and I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> oh, no. That's what we have to do. We have to, we have to pump up the crowd. People want to be entertained as much as people love to watch their kids. You know, they also like, you know, the music that comes on, you know, during the pauses and play, which is awesome, you know? Yeah. So if you could create like a, a blue jacket, like experience, um, you know, at a youth hockey game, I guess you're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were always fun for sure. I always made sure to go to the 2003s when I had options about what games to cover. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we had we had some good times. We had some fun times that group Definitely. for sure. Are those the Pee Wee tournament flags behind you? Yeah, that's Spence and yeah. Sam. Yep. That's great. Those are the Pee Wee flags, you know, just just another great experience the boys have had through hockey. And that's why I always say, 
you know, hockey teaches you so many things that you can apply in your life. And I look at some of these experiences that these kids have, and, and I just hope they don't take it for granted. You know, the Pee Wee Quebec tournament, you know, traveling to the different cities, playing on NHL ice, meeting different kids, you know. And I always tell people, you know, when you look at the kids today, they're global, right? When you look at the kids who play hockey, they're truly global. You know, yeah. they follow they follow people all over the world through their various accounts, Instagram, everything. Um but, you know, I, I really, I really, I really think hockey has enabled them to have some great experiences. And there are a lot of parents who feel that way about their kids the same way that I do. Do you think the NHL will be coming back like it's supposed to this summer? Or do you think the pandemic might have other plans? You know, I, I think it's too early to tell. Right. It's yeah. too early to tell. I think what people need to be encouraged is they still continue to go through the steps. So they have phase one. I just saw an email today that they feel comfortable going to phase two. Um, it's too early to tell, but that they're progressing through the phases, I think is very promising. You know, I, you know, just like everyone else, you know, any hockey fan, they hope that they will be able to get on the ice. But I think most hockey fans, you know, understand that it's safety first, right? So, you know, we want them to get on the ice as long as it's safe to do so. If it's not safe to do so, then we need to understand, right? Because I like to tell people this. I said, it's great for, for us to say, hey, I think this is what they need to do. But I also tell people, would I feel that same way if it was if it was my kid, right? And somebody said, hey, there's a whole bunch of people who want your kid to play in this game at this time. I don't know if I would have the same answer, right? And so that's why I said, you know, leave it to the professionals, you know, the great thing about professional sports is they got kind of the best and the brightest doctors that I'm sure are looking at, you know, all the latest data, trying to figure out, you know, how they can return these guys to play in the safest, safe, safest possible. Right. And so for me, as long as they can do it safely, I'm all for it. But if there is any iota or shred of doubt that someone could be potentially impacted or someone's kid potentially could be impacted and they said, you know what, we're just going to wait. I think as fans, we would understand that too as well. Yeah. Well, Michael, this was really awesome to get your perspective on the the local, you know, game in Ohio and everything and the youth side of things. So that definitely thanks, uh, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to come on and chat with us tonight. And I tell yeah. people, you got to watch out for this Columbus market. You know, they're, right. they're, they're churning out, you know, not only NHL players, but just fantastic individuals because they play this sport. And that's just testament you know, to all the organizations, you know, the Blue Jacket, the parent organization, which has a heavy hand in everything that we do from a youth hockey perspective. You know, so I think the future is just incredibly bright for Columbus. And I'm looking forward to see, you know, how how we're going to answer, you know, this new call that's out there, you know, to continue to make sure that this game stays available to everyone. Hockey's for everyone. It'll be really cool to see local, uh, more guys out of Ohio making the NHL and whatnot. So definitely awesome to see. You know, they start, they start, like I tell you, they started to build, you know, they're starting to build some good things in here. You know, it's like, like I said, I love to see, you know, even some of the pro guys have kind of started to reinvest in the community too as well. You know, Cam Atkinson started the battery. That's awesome, right? Because yeah. it just, it just builds more surfaces for kids to get the training to help them chase their dreams. And that's why I said, you know, my focus from my ice hockey club perspective, and I always tell people is how do we make sure it stays as affordable as possible so all the dreamers can participate equally? 
that's it. You, you guys uh, spend some time. Um, you know, when you think of Ice Hockey Club, we've been in existence, you know, close to 23, 24 years, right? Another person that I think would be really good for you guys to have on is John Hofferman, who's the executive director. He started Ice Hockey Club when it was one team. People would say, there's no way you could teach Black kids how to skate. And he, I mean, he did it, right? And so have just getting his perspective on the growth of hockey here in Central Ohio, I think that would be a rather rich conversation that you guys could have too as well. Thank you both for allowing me to come on, tell the story of Ice Hockey Club, tell the story of hockey in Central Ohio. I really appreciate it. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't without, you know, people like yourselves that are allowing us to tell that story and get it out there. So, you know, once again, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, it's definitely a unique perspective for sure. That was awesome. Have a great day. You too. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPerley.com, and you should also check out Angela Pearly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCannon and comment on JacketsCannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.